This is The Cable. How much retail ownership is in stock? Tech story is front and center. What will this wind up doing to the cost curve? Your connection from the London market close to the US market action. A significant sell-off in European assets. So it feels like a lot of these stocks have already priced that in. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele. Behavioral challenges from the pandemic could linger for years on Bloomberg Radio. 5 p.m. in the city of London. You are listening to The Cable. It is Thursday, October the 27th. It has been a very busy day out there. We've got lots to digest. I'm Guy Johnson in London. Alex Steele is over in New York. Alex, um, Meta losing more than $80 billion in value. That stock has been absolutely hammered today. Credit Suisse has been absolutely hammered today. Its biggest drop on record. Uh, They had a shot at um, uh, convincing investors that their restructuring plan was the way to go. I think they missed. We've got the ECB to digest as well. Uh, You've got an oil story to factor in. There is a lot going on today. I have to say sort of broadly, equity markets taking this all pretty much on the chin. Equity markets fairly flat today, but the euro's down by uh, 1%, back below 1%. The British pound down by half of 1% today. Uh, The bond market's been really active as well. It's been a bit of a bit of a day. It has, and you know the it, the earnings part. I actually think is quite interesting because when you take a look at Credit Suisse and Facebook, for example, we we kind of knew what the numbers and what the restructuring was going to look like, and yet the stock still got really hammered, and they were hammered into the announcement and the earnings. And I find that to be peculiar. I'm looking forward to talking about that later. Uh, yeah, I, the the market has has. Been given a lot, a lot of opportunity to digest a lot of this news. Mm-hmm. The, the ECB was reasonably balanced as well. Um, so, and I think we had a pretty good clue as to what was going on there. A lot of that was flagged too. So, I, I think, yeah, it's interesting to see how the market is reacting to a lot of a, a lot of this stuff. Um, I think the broader picture is certainly that we are seeing an economic slowdown, and I think you've seen that as well today from from names like Unilever um, on the consumer side, AB InBev as well, yeah. kind of reflecting some of the news. We're going to get also later on today Apple, which I think is going to be fascinating, and Amazon as well, which I think are going to be really kind of useful clues as to what is happening with the global economy. Uh, we'll kick off with the ECB in just a moment, get a sense of what is happening there, get a sense of what's going on within the Eurozone economy. Before we do all that, let's get some headlines with Charlie Powell. I thank you very much, Guy Johnson. Lots of moving parts to today's markets. Indeed, lots of big moving parts. Let us begin with the ECB story. The European Central Bank has doubled its key interest rate to the highest level in more than a decade, intensifying its efforts against record inflation in the pace of a likely recession. Policymakers today in Frankfurt delivered a second straight three-quarter point increase, as economists were expecting. That brings the deposit rate, which was below zero as recently as July, to 1.5%. UK mortgage lending is heading for its biggest plunge in more than a decade next year after a surge in rates and cost-of-living squeeze brings household budgets to a breaking point. Total loans for house purchases may total just £11 billion next year, a fraction of the £63 billion expected for 2022, this according to a report from the consultancy EY. And Lloyd's Banking Group missed estimates in the third quarter after the lending took charges for bad loans as it warned of a darkening outlook for the UK economy. Lloyd shares did gain today up in London by about five-tenths of one percent. That is the latest from the news desk. Guy Johnson back to you now in our London studios. Charlie Pellet in our New York studios. Thank you very much indeed. Charlie will be back in around 30 minutes time to keep us updated on what is happening here. Charlie mentioning what is going on with the eurozone economy the ecb today 
Hiking by 75 basis points, widely flagged. Everybody anticipated that. That was in the price. Uh, then we got to the statement, uh, and then we got to the press conference delivered by President Christine Lagarde. Now, she's been a little bit more hawkish of late. Today, maybe a little bit more balanced. We'll talk about the details in a moment. Let's take a listen first to what she had to say. We have raised the three key ECB interest rates by 75 basis points and expect to raise interest rates further to ensure the timely return of inflation to our medium-term target. Economic activity in the euro area is likely to have slowed significantly in the third quarter of the year, and we expect a further weakening in the remainder of this year and the beginning of next year. The incoming data confirm that risks to the economic growth outlook are clearly on the downside, especially in the near term. Our future policy rate decisions will continue to be data-dependent and follow a meeting-by-meeting approach. We stand ready to adjust all of our instruments within our mandate to ensure that inflation returns to our medium-term inflation targets. Let's go to Frankfurt now to discuss what has happened here um, and some of the other tweaks that were made today. Um, the, The ECB has in the past handed out significant amounts of money to the banking sector um, to make sure that the banking sector continues to lend to the real economy. But with rates rising, they're starting to pull that back a little bit. Let's deal with all the details here and what it tells us about where we are with the Eurozone economy. We're joined now by Bloomberg's ECB editor and reporter, Jana Randau. Jana, Alex and I talked to Peter Pratt um, after the decision, after the press conference, and his sense was that this was a more balanced performance from Christine Lagarde. He described it as a, a dovish hike. Is that your assessment as well? I think this is what uh, the market is breeding into it. Um, I, I have a hunch it's not what they actually wanted to achieve. Um, the, the president was very clear at stressing inflation is a problem. Inflation is much too high. We need to get inflation back down. Um, that is what I took away from this. And uh, yes, uh, she hinted at or, or she mentioned the substantial progress that the ECB has made uh, over the past months in removing um, accommodation in hiking interest rates. Uh, it's quite significant, actually, from the start of uh, or from July, we've seen uh, 200 basis points worth of rate hikes. That is that is a, a massive uh, undertaking that the ECB has done there. And the ECB acknowledged that to some extent. But the president also said more hikes are coming and it might well be several. So um, I, I, I didn't take much of a dovish message away. She was mm-hmm. balanced in her assessment of the economy, yes. And she also mentioned some, some downside risks to the inflation outlook. But overall, she was, in my ears, very, very concerned about price pressures. So to that point, the markets seem to think, okay, we're going to slow down the pace of hikes. And I wonder, does that mean we adjust what we think term- the terminal rate's going to be? Or did they just get to the terminal rate a little slower than we thought? Like, we could still see the 50 basis points or 25 basis points, just not necessarily 75 again. Yeah, I mean, the ECB has, has been very cautious at how it, uh, how it talks about the neutral rate, about the terminal rate. And ultimately, they really 
don't want to pre-commit. They really don't want to settle and, and get boxed into a corner. And um, I think I think uh, there is a fair chance that uh, the rate hike in December uh, is going to be smaller than 75 basis points. Um, at some point, uh, as you get closer to, to where you think uh, you might end up, and the market is currently, after this press conference, pricing around 2.5%, as you get closer to that level, um, the steps in, uh, ultimately get smaller. And I think this is what we're seeing um, that that the ECB may slow a little bit uh, the pace of tightening, yep. but but not the determination of of um, you know of, of fighting inflation. And ultimately, um, as the president said, you know it, it, what what the data that comes in between now and the next decision is very important. Uh, and of course, they will have new projections that reach all the way into 2025 uh, at at their next meeting. So um, while while we can debate whether whether those projections are worth much, um, they will certainly uh, be looked. Uh, and and be a part of the policy decision. Okay, so let's just take a step back here. She's, you think she's she is continuing to be very worried about price pressures, i.e., the inflationary the, the sort of aspect to her job, which is front and center, central. In fact, it is by far and away the biggest factor that she's thinking about at the moment. I heard her talk an awful lot about the downside risks of the economy as well. The eurozone economy is slowing quite rapidly at the moment. You think she's comfortable hiking quite aggressively into that slowdown? That's certainly what they've said in the past, right? I mean, um, they've been pretty adamant at saying uh, we have one job and that is price stability and we're failing at the moment in delivering that. And um, one other thing that I that I think is interesting is that, or, or that, that you know, we, we should take into account is the fact that um, Whatever recession we are going to see is probably not going to slow down significantly uh, inflation pressures in the eurozone. So inflation will stay high, and at some point, um, the ECB will, of course, have to acknowledge how the economy is doing. But um, if inflation stays high, and and uh, the risk that that will uh, feed second round effects, that people will go and ask for higher wages, that that prices will continue to spiral, um, then they have little little of a choice, right? Um, well, Jan, but, but to yeah. that point, are we closer to that trade-off today than we thought we were yesterday? Potentially, um, potentially, we are getting um, third quarter GDP figures over the next few days um, on Friday and on Monday. So uh, on Monday, we're all going to be a bit smarter as to how how the economy, the eurozone economy, did in the third quarter, and uh, that might also tell us a little bit more about how bad uh, the winter might might be. Um, so in that sense, yeah, it's uh, every single day that's progressing um, will will make us smarter in in knowing how big the economic risk is how much um, the economy uh, and, and prices in the economy will react to the slowdown. And that is going to be very crucially uh, important. And of course, the, the energy uh, price um, uh, declines that we've seen over the past uh, uh, past days and, and you know over the past time, that has a huge impact on, on how the ECB is, is going to see uh, things going forward. But, uh, but despite you know the economy slowing, the focus is on inflation. That's interesting. Right, you, the the sort of we we talked to two people on the TV show today. Peter Prep, chief economist; Eric Nielsen, well-known economist at, at Unicredit. Um, Eric, much more in the kind of this is a hawkish statement. Readers are a hawkish statement. Peter, much more. This is a more balanced statement. If this is the case, that it is is a that that they are maybe being misinterpreted today. Why are they not? Why are they not going to commit? 
in December to a start date for the QE. If they're worried about the inflationary aspect, why not take the opportunity? And you guys do a great job, as ever, of sort of getting the kind of finesse narrative from the ECB post the meeting. The ECB is now saying it won't set a start date for QT in December. Why not do it at that point? Essentially, QT is is um, a complicated thing. The ECB has no experience uh, in doing it. It's it's new territory uh, that they are uh, um, uh, embarking on, or exploring, I should say. And um, and you wanna you wanna get it right. Uh, you, there, the margin for error is is very very small, uh, especially uh, when you look at all the economic uncertainty. Um, the other thing is that um, the, um, the 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 meetings uh, that we're when they have forecasts are usually um they usually take uh you know a lot of time to discuss the economic outlook and the policy path as such so there might simply not be time to to um discuss in very detail um all the elements of QT and the other thing is that uh that uh, policymakers really want this QT to run in the background. To make, they want to make this more into a technical adjustment, into something that almost happens by default, um, and and not come back to it all the time, every single meeting, and and re, uh, refine and 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 redefine the parameters of it. And uh, obviously, one way of doing that is to take it a little bit out of the spotlight and to decide it at a time when when it's not such a sensitive moment. Mm-hmm. So while it's important to, to tell the market this is going to happen, this is how it's going to happen, um, to, to also just make make them able to prepare, to make investors able to prepare and banks able to, re, uh, to prepare for, for what's yeah. inevitable. Um, actually saying, okay, and here we go, and this is, this is when we start, and here is every single detail you need to know about mm-hmm. this. Um, this might have some time. Also because of Teltro changes that were uh, announced today. Yes. Can we get on the Teltro changes for a quick sec? Um, So basically, before, banks could get some money that was basically free from the bank and then deposit it back at the central bank and then make a nice little margin on it. Obviously, they need to change that because rates are now uh, continuing to rise. They don't want to look like they're just sending a lot of money to banks. But what do we think the longer-term implications for banks is going to be for that? Like, Do they have to pare back credit? Do they have to be more conservative? Like, What do you think banks do because of this? It's an interesting question. So, so from November, from the end of November onward, um, the Teltro loans, the the longer term loans, um, are going to become more expensive for the banks. And essentially, that window, that arbitrage window, where they make extra profits, is going to close. So, from November onward, uh, it's a zero sum game for banks. They can hang on to the money if they want, but they are not going to make extra money by by basically handing it back to the ECB into the deposit facility. And what the ECB is trying to um, to uh, achieve with that move is to actually encourage banks to, to repay the money early, um, to hand it back so that the balance sheet will start to shrink um, and, and some accommodation is being removed. Now, um, on term, in terms of what banks are doing with that, um, it's interesting. If you look at uh, credit growth, um, credit growth uh, to companies, for example, in the Eurozone is growing at almost nine percent at the moment uh, at an annual rate. That's a lot, That's a lot. Um, and uh, so there is really no shortage of, yeah. of money out there. So um, my my expectation would be that uh, credit growth at banks will be much more driven by the economic outlook, by yeah. interest rates and demand, and not so much by the ECB changing telco terms. All right, Yana, we've got to leave it there. Yana Mendo, uh, ECB editor, thank you so much. We appreciate it. This is Bloomberg. 
This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You're listening to The Cable. I'm Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson over in London. So it was a really bad day for Credit Suisse. Well, it's been a really bad year, but the stock closed down 19%. That is the biggest drop on record. Yes, it reported its fourth quarter loss. Um, the investment bank obviously struggling, wealthy clients fleeing, um, lender booking some charges. Um, but the real issue here is its overhaul. Um, it's looking at lots of job cuts. Um, it's looking at back pairing back its investment bank. It's looking at a lot of stuff, plus a $4 billion Swiss franc capital raise. A lot going on, market not impressed. Bloomberg's Francine Lacroix spoke with the CEO earlier today. Today, the bank has parts which are not profitable enough, as we all know, from the shareholder perspective. And that's why we came up with you know, the, the need of taking very decisive actions in mainly three different areas. The one is uh, radical restructuring of the investment bank. The second one is significant reducing costs going forward, as you have seen. And the third one, very importantly, further strengthening of our capital basis. Why is that? Because we want to go through the transformation of the next three years with a very, very strong capital base and leave the transformation also with a very strong capital base. So, so these are, you, are the three things. Are, are you confident that the announcement today actually puts the capital question to bed? Yes. A hundred percent. What kind of uh, conversations have you had with shareholders? No, we have permanent conversations with shareholders. I think they fully understand you know, our package, what we are doing in the area of capital, because not only the capital increase. And we are doing divestments. We are, you know, partnering up, for example, as you have seen in the securities product business. All of that generates a lot of capital and, and puts us through that transformation, as I said before. When does the new Credit Suisse become profitable? It will become profitable definitely from 2024 onwards. Uh, the CEO of Credit Suisse, talking to Francine Lacroix a little bit earlier on, it has been a tough day for the management team at hmm. Credit Suisse. Um, they had an opportunity to hit the target. I think, judging by the share price reaction, they may have missed. Bloomberg's John Patrick Barnett joins us now. Uh, JP, let's let's talk a little bit about what may have gone wrong today. Walk me through the market reaction on why we got the, the aggressive down move that we've seen. <laughs> well... There's so much. So how much time do we have? How many days can we talk yeah. about it? Because there's so much to, un- to unpack what, <laughs> what went wrong today. <laughs> all right, I try my best. So, like, first of all, um, the capital race that they're doing right now is, is much bigger than anticipated. We knew they would need capital. Um, and um, it was clear that they maybe have to go to the market. But there was this kind of a sentiment or expectation that they tried to avoid this at all costs. Now we get it straight out of the door that they go to the market and raise uh, $4 billion in in fresh capital. This will mean this is a dilution of about 20% of the existing shareholders, so that's that's not great. Um, then the whole strategy re-ramp, I mean, it goes into the right direction. And before that, I, I said, like, on TV and in stories and in Bloomberg Block, we need a, a bold move. And the move is kind of boldish, I would say. Um, but again, we are lacking a lot of details. How is this going to play out? How do you want to do this? And, I mean, it's not like a strategy re-ramp um, where they had, like, 24 hours to put it together. It's going for months and weeks now. Yeah. And I was... I was actually a little bit shocked that they had so many, so little detail in it. So is that a question then on management? Like, is this the right management team? Or is that just that the problems are so big, they just don't know yet? 
Uh, well, I guess both a little bit. I mean, maybe this sounds a little bit strange, but I mean, like even the management, they didn't really sound like super confident from, from the voice and the, and the posture and everything. You know what I mean? It's just like, of course, at the end of the day, the numbers matter, but you, you want to have a management that, that, that sounds like that they're really convinced that this is the right step. And I didn't get the feeling, neither from the call nor from the presentation, that this is the case. And, of course, they are in a very tricky spot because this has now been going on for months and from one issue to another. So they have a lot to, to uh, undo here. So, to be fair, it's, it's going to be a long road. But that said, again, if you are in that tough spot, why don't you come out with a really, like, detailed plan and you have an answer to literally everything to re-ensure this, this problem of, of lost trust and, and lost confidence. Why, why then do a plan that, that comes have across they, a little bit hard? JP, have they made the problem worse? They clearly have in terms of the share price performance. But is this, does this plan um, still work if, if you are seeing the kind of reaction that we're getting here today? I would not say that they have made it worse, but um, they did very little to to make it to make it better. I mean, they have a plan now, um, and they will be judged on that on that plan, right? And so the first step that we want to see is like um, they now have to pull uh, out a, a capital raise in a very difficult market environment. This is going to be the first um, uh, uh, challenge for them, and then the, the first measurement that investors will take if they are able to to pull this off on on a, on a decent on a decent level. And then they have to deliver on on a lot of things. Uh, things the cost savings must come in, um, the, the spin-off of the investment bank comes, must come in, the new alignment of the remaining investment bank with the wealth management must come in. So there are a lot of boxes that they now need to tick. And it, I, I would say the, the margin of error here is actually zero. So um, mm-hmm. they really need to pull this off and make sure that everything which, goes according to, to this plan. JP, which part is the, has the biggest execution risk? Well, I would say like that, uh, to me, it's not super clear how they want to spin off the investment bank and create the new credits with First Boston, how mm-hmm. this is going to play out, um, how much stake they want to keep there. And then to me, it's also not 100% clear how these 2.5 billion Swiss francs in cost savings are coming in. They gave us a little bit of guidance for the first chunk of it. But beyond that, they said they had to wait and see and, and, and have a look how this how it's going to play out. And then the biggest challenge for me and the biggest question mark to me is like, how can they make sure that their clients come back with like renewed trust and that this core unit of wealth management is going to play out well. JP, we're going to leave it there. Thank you very much indeed. JP Barnett joining us uh, on what has happened with Credit Suisse today. Um, Alex, that was the biggest drop ever. Mm -hmm. Biggest percentage drop ever for Credit Suisse. As JP was saying, it was a vague statement. Um, I, I actually thought some of the numbers were, were vaguely in line with what, what I'd been led to believe, either the capital raise, maybe some of the losses. But but nevertheless, I think people wanted detail, and it just wasn't there. Yeah, and what you don't want to do is unveil this big plan and yeah. then have your stock drop by a record. Like, usually, when you do cost-cutting and investors believe you, etc., your stock rallies because everyone's like, okay, they got it under control, they're going to get the money, it's going to be okay. That just didn't happen. I mean, it's... It's really staggering. Um, Speaking of, we'll talk about Meta in a moment, but coming up, we're going to talk about Unilever and the cost pressures facing the consumer giant. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. You are listening to The Cable on Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. It's just past 5.30 over in the UK. That's where Guy Johnson is. I'm here in New York, Malik Steele. Okay, so let's get to the markets here in the US. It, It is puzzling 
and then also somewhat predictable. So uh, the S&P is trying to figure out up or down which way is up. Um, the Dow is up, NASDAQ 100 down. And I bring that up because it's very much a split between Caterpillar, Caterpillar and Meta. And that's why the S&P is kind of struggling here. Caterpillar doing really, really well, um, reporting better than expected uh, earnings. It's the best uh, stock for the best move in the stock after an earnings boom in decades. That's huge. Uh, Meta, not so great. We'll talk about that in a second. That stock's still down by about 20%. It was terrible going into it, and it's terrible coming out of it. Um, and that's really what we're dealing with here. In the bond market, though, you are seeing somewhat of a bid, obviously helped uh, by the ECB in the dovish hike. I question it, because as we talked about, we don't really know what kind of hike that was. Um, also, you got a better than expected third quarter GDP, although under the hood, there's still a lot of questions about uh, residential investment and personal consumption. But nonetheless, the headline number uh, was pretty solid there. Uh, that's a quick snapshot here of the U.S. markets. Now let's get some more headlines with Charlie Pepper. Hi, thank you very much. And here's what's going on, Alex Steele. U.K. traders are scaling down expectations for interest rates as the government charts a course for austerity to fix public finances. Money markets are wagering on less than 75 basis points of hikes next week, according to interest rate swaps tied to BOE policy dates, marking a sharp turnaround from a month ago when traders bet on as many as two percentage points of increases. The European Central Bank doubled its key interest rate to the highest in more than a decade and signaled it is making progress in its battle with record inflation, just as the likelihood of a recession mounts. Officials in Frankfurt today delivered a second straight three-quarter point hike, as economists were expecting. Russian President Vladimir Putin is accusing the West of trying to impose a universal worldwide view and using the conflict in Ukraine as a way to achieve that goal. He spoke a day after overseeing scheduled nuclear exercises that tested a massive retaliatory strike but said Moscow does not need an atomic strike on its neighbor. Shell shares in London gained the most since July as it raised its dividend after posting its second highest profit on record. Even as some parts of its business showed signs of slowing, Shell shares up today by 5.5%. That is the latest from the news desk. Alex Steele, back to you now here in New York. Yep, shares up for Shell. You know who's going to come knocking? Governments, they want their money too. Um, okay, Charlie, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. I'm Charlie Pellet there. All right, let's stay with company earnings. Uh, Unilever raising its sales forecast for this year, uh, pushing through the biggest increase in prices in its history. Amid all the super high inflation, the question then becomes just how far they can push prices before sales uh, kind of take a hit. Um, they are looking at the fiscal year uh, sales coming in more than 8%. That's up from a top range of about 6.5%. Now what? So, uh, Manus Cranny uh, earlier spoke with the CEO, Alan Yope. Yope? Joe? Joe. Joe. Uh, and here's what they had to say. It is true. Uh, inflationary pressures will continue to uh, dominate our input costs. We're very, very sensitive to uh, how the consumer is feeling the pinch at the moment, and we're taking price mm -hmm. uh, responsibly but swiftly. Um, one of the reasons volumes are holding up is that we're investing heavily in product quality um, at the same time as taking price and investing in, in advertising. And we've seen very limited consumer down trading. Our premium businesses are growing just as fast as our value mm -hmm. business. So things like Prestige Beauty, premium health and well-being, our biggest brand in the company, uh, Dove, which sells at a premium, those are doing well. But at the same time, we're introducing products. There's a Knorr product that we've launched in Latin America called a meat extender. It extends the, the yield mm -hmm. of a meal by about 50%. 
Uh, or we've got an OMO product. It's a laundry liquid that is concentrated. That offers a 30% lower cost per wash. So all in all, um, uh, we're not seeing significant downtrading. Having said that, I think your point is correct. We do expect to see volumes continue to be under pressure in quarter four okay. and into next year. From where I sit, price hikes of 12.5% across the business, UK inflation's at 10%. By my pedestrian reading, are you squeezing the consumer at this juncture in terms of getting prices up and ahead of inflation? Uh, let, let me give you two simple uh, data points on that. The first is that we have, we're very far away from having post passed along uh, all of the cost increases that we've felt uh, in the form of pricing. And secondly, uh, we're guiding um, that our shareholders will bear a significant part of this as well, because our margins will be down 240 basis points for the year. So um, our, okay. our price increases are running behind uh, our cost increases right now. Uh, that was Alan Jope, uh, the CEO of Unilever, joining Manus Cranny there. Um, so let's just go through, Guy, a little bit about other companies, uh, too. So Nestle uh, saying inflation is going to be a big issue next year as well. Look for more price increases. Uh, Carlsberg earlier, the beer maker, saying that high inflation is starting to hurt consumer demand. Uh, McDonald's in particular highlighted the weakness in Europe because people are having to spend so much on basic stuff rather than actual discretionary items like maybe a burger. Um, this isn't looking so good. So prices are going up for the consumer. They're having to raise prices. As we heard from uh, Mr. Jope there, I, he is trying to protect his margins, but he's not able to pass on all of the costs that he's seeing coming into the business. But the consumer is starting to push back, mm -hmm. and you are starting to see evidence of that coming through. Uh, it was interesting. We, we were talking to an investor earlier on this week talking about Coke. Coke's numbers were good this week, but, but we were comparing and contrasting kind of whether or not you wanted to own Alphabet or Coke. And I was saying, look, Coke's, Coke's doing really well here. It's passing on prices. Uh, it looks really stable right now. And his point was, yeah, long. but they're reaching the limits of how much they can, they, they can do this. The consumer is being squeezed. Mm -hmm. And this is where the pain point is now going to come. People are looking at these traditionally what you would call a value company, some of these, these kind of core, core companies, and they are they are going to struggle to push this through for much longer. Yeah, I, I just wonder, and I've said this before, that I thought it was going to be this earnings season where we were going to see that. Yep, we we haven't. So does it push out the moment of reckoning to like the first quarter of next year? Or is it really going to be a fourth quarter story? Are we underestimating the consumer again, which we've done in the past? Um, that's, a, that's a fair point, because you take a look at, look at, look at Visa's numbers, look at MasterCard's numbers. Look at the GDP data today. Well, certainly in the states, the consumer is still spending, and yeah, that does that does confirm that. And and certainly, if you look at the the card data, it's still very strong. Yes. Um. And when you talked about the the GDP data, and I mean, oh no, that's a U.S. story, but still, I mean, personal consumption did fall, but it's not as much as we thought. So does it push out that moment of reckoning? Like we all know the consumer is going to have problems. We know it, of course. R rates are high. Um, but the CEOs are not talking tough. about that yet. Um, no, exactly. And they're not seeing it yet. They're waiting for it. They're going to prep for it. Where they're already guiding for investors that we're going to take that margin hit. But then what if it doesn't materialize? Like, is that sort of a weird um, upside risk? Or if it materializes, is it worse than we think? I don't think we know. I, I honestly, I feel like the last six months has all been about what are the consumers doing. Nobody knows. <laughs> Therein lies the market. Well, reactions. no, I think I think I think the, the the I think nobody knows, and they are constantly surprised that the consumer is holding up. And I think yep. the reason, the simple reason for that is that a well, two reasons. One, the consumer came into this downturn with a lot of cash saved from the pandemic. Mm -hmm. 
And the second thing is that the employment market's held up. Yep. Yep. Um, and to that point, too, yes, we're going to go through some kind of downturn, but are we going to see the layoffs? And increasingly, people are talking about the fact that we're not because no one's, no business is going to want to let go of the workers they had such a hard time getting back in the first place. And that's going to sort of distort the inflationary picture and distort the wage picture and distort the growth picture. Yeah. I think it's a I think it's a really confusing narrative. Yeah. I think it's really difficult to get a, a, a sort of real handle on what is happening here. But you are seeing advertising slowing down as well, which I think is is something you also want to pay attention to. Good leading, um, sort of. We're doing shell next, but you know. We are, yeah. But we'll, we'll get to metal. Alex's favorite subject. We'll get to Amazon. Energy's coming up. This is Bloomberg. <laughs> this is the cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Hi, good evening. You're listening to Cable, Bloomberg DAB Digital Radio. I'm Alex Steele in New York. Guy Johnson is over in London. So Guy teased it. Boyle. Uh, Shell did really well. Total did really well. Um, uh, the dividend plan um, really boosting uh, investor confidence when it comes to Shell. That stock closed up by over 5%, almost 6%. Um, th- these guys are making record profits here. It's second quarter of these record profits. And I guess the question becomes, how long can this last? And for me, the question is, when will the governments really demand a piece of it? Um, so let's get into it. We have Exxon and Chevron also reporting before the bell tomorrow. Fernando Navale uh, joining us from Bloomberg Intelligence. So far, Shell Total, what's your biggest takeaway for these guys? And how do I read through that for Chevron and Exxon? Well, I think uh, first is that, the, as you mentioned, these record profits are not any closer to abating. They're going to continue making significant uh, headways there. And then I think the the distributions in Shell and Total, you're not going to see that out of Exxon and Chevron. The, the increases, because they've been increasing for so long, uh, they kind of preempted that. But it does signal that uh, their record pace also buy well, not record pace, but fast pace of buybacks is going to continue. Government's going to want a piece of the pie. Let's talk about taxes. The UK government's already talking about it. European governments are already talking about it. Um is this a temporary feature, do you think? Do you think this is going to be something that the industry might have to live with for a while? Well, uh, the the taxes, I think if they, they do proceed with that, they will only aggravate what's already uh, an even uh, clo- in danger of deepening energy crisis. Uh, there is not enough investment as we, as it stands today because, and you can say that it's because investors are asking for buybacks and there's some truth to that. But there's also just a question about the, the, the future, the 10, 20 year future of oil and gas given regulations and putting a tax now will only divert more of those investments mm-hmm. into growth that's necessary to meet the, the short term energy demand. Which is so interesting if you pair that with the IEA report today, which basically said that demand for all fossil fuels is going to hit a plateau uh, from the middle of this decade. So you basically then have the IEA saying that, look, we're not going to need your stuff, but governments now are like, we really need your stuff. And then governments want a piece of their stuff, but then investors want another piece of their stuff. If I'm an oil CEO, can I, just, can I, just say, I don't know what to do. That? He understood that. <laughs> I, I get it. I'll, he speaks okay. steel. I, I, you do I, too, I, don't lie. I got it. I, I think <laughs> first I, I would be on record saying I, I can't, I, I don't see, there were three scenarios in the IEA and only one of them is relatively plausible to me. 
you know, thinking that we're going to have a, a, a precipitous fall of demand over the next 20 years, it just ignores the fact that, you know, the costs of replacing infrastructure, the costs of replacing vehicle fleets, and the fact that we haven't really made advancements in, in heavy transportation uh, miles per gallon or batteries uh, to date. And, and they're very difficult, and the current technology doesn't allow for it. So I'll be on record saying that our first scenario is plausible, but I think the, the outlook is really that we'll need more unless we tax the industry out of uh, out of investing. Hmm. Has the war in Ukraine, though, accelerated the end of hydrocarbons? No, I think the, quite the contrary in a way, because it, it's it's showing the need to uh, that we need more energy security. Before we we were just speeding up transition, and now uh, you know the source of the fuel makes a huge difference. And uh, the reshoring won't be uh, just for micro uh, for semiconductors and uh, antibiotics. I think we have to reshore energy as well, so we can mm-hmm. be safe and 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 you know our our. Economies are all built on on energy. We can't just step away from that in a five year period. So I'm going to email you anyway later. So I'll just tell you now. We have a Mike Worth on tomorrow um, at the top of our show. What would be your biggest question to him now, knowing that you don't have the numbers? I think to me, it's when are you going to turn exploration back on? I think we all see the crisis of supply in uh, in, in within 18 to 24 months. Uh, are you going to go out and acquire and explore? Uh, for more oil because the the shale isn't growing as fast as we can. OPEC clearly uh, is not growing as fast as we we would hope. So are you going to explore? See, when are they going to do the stuff? See how that works? It's a big uh, day for Alex tomorrow. It's fun. <laughs> uh, and Fernando, hello. All right, Fernando, thanks a lot. Really appreciate okay. it. Really, truly appreciate it, Fernando Valley of Bloomberg Intelligence. All right, coming up, we're going to turn our focus to tech. We got Meta. We got the Twitter deal closing. We got Apple and Amazon after the bell. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Guy Johnson and Alex Steele on Bloomberg Radio. Good evening. Welcome back. You're listening to The Cable. We're live on DAB Digital Radio. So it is a huge week, huge week for tech earnings. Uh, we've had a raft so far. We get tonight Amazon and Apple. But Meta has been the real story today. The stock is off its lows, formerly Facebook, of course. Uh, it's now trading down a mere 22%. Uh, it is basically um, back north of 100, 101.27 is where we're now trading. Earlier on, uh, it was down 30% plus. Um, let's join now to get some commentary on all of this and get a sense of where we're going. Uh, our West Coast correspondent. I've always wanted to be the uh, the West Country correspondent, but that's a whole different gig. <laughs> Ed Ludlow joining us now from San Francisco. Ed, let's start with Mesa. Off the lows, but a lot of damage done. Where is that is that company going next after what must have been a significant shock to management. You don't get this kind of market reaction and ignore it. Yeah, I think the way to summarize it is that the market had signaled and said, you guys have to stop the bleeding on the bottom line that's happening because of this transition to the metaverse. And what they got in the earnings statement and during the call was the opposite. You know, costs this year will be between 83 and 85 million a billion, sorry, dollars higher than expected next year, uh, ninety-six uh, to one hundred one billion, and and m- 
Zuckerberg's basically doubling down, right, on the need to invest now for mm-hmm. this future that's in the metaverse. What the street was saying is don't do that. You know, be more financially disciplined at a time where your bread and butter advertising, which is 95 or more percent revenue, uh, is is winding down with a slowing market. Uh, why do you think the stock got hit so hard? Um, we knew that things were going to be bad. Well, the the other way I look at it is that the numbers in the quarter just gone were pretty poor, right? You know, when we say a company beat or missed estimates, this was a a big miss, and so I they think, missed already lowered expectations. Exactly, and mm-hmm. what I would say is, look at Meta Reality Labs, right? One of the saving graces in recent quarters has been that Meta Reality Labs, the unit responsible for the AR VR hardware that's eventually going to drive this transition to the metaverse, has actually yeah. performed pretty well from a low base. You know, previous quarters has had forty percent top line growth. This quarter, it came in well below expectations. No one is buying AR VR headsets, and the loss on that unit was three point six billion or something like that wider than expected. So so you can't have it both ways. You can't say we're going to double down on our spending while the same uh, problem is getting worse and investors have told you what that problem is. Is part of the reaction today a reflection of the fact that the street doesn't believe Zuckerberg's going to listen? Well, based on the commentary and the the financials outlined on Thursday, I don't think the street believes he is going to listen. You know, and I know that this is a cliche in markets, but investors are talking with their feet, right? They are coming out of this stock in a dramatic way. Um, I think what's so surprising to me, you guys will remember the day that Facebook changed. uh, Oh, I've just realized. It's the one-year anniversary tomorrow of the day that Facebook changed its name to Meta. And you'll remember I was there um, down in the valley when they pulled the tarpaulin off the sign. But Zuckerberg said something very clear. It will be 10 years plus before there's any meaningful income from this metaverse plan. And investors have had a year to digest that. We've known that that's the situation. I think he said it would take a decade to reach um, you know, profit in the hundreds of millions of dollars, uh, which is nothing. It's a drop in the ocean. Um, I think that now uh, they are realizing that Zuckerberg's not going to listen uh, to what their short-term expectations are. He's still very much focused on that long-term transition. Yep. Totally. Yes, 100%. Um, He says what he means. Okay, let's get to Amazon. What are you looking for after the bell? Yeah. So the quarter gone and the, the quarter to come, you know, Prime Day was in July. There's a, there's there's evidence right from the third quarter GDP print that the consumer remained strong. How did they do? And then going forward, you know, all of the third party data, the analysis of the, the retail sector and e-commerce suggests this will be a really slow holiday period. Why? We know the story. Higher inflation hurting the consumer. But, you know, it seems like Amazon will live or die by its, by its forecast for revenue and, and profit in the current period. And then there's all the other stuff that Guy doesn't like, like AWS and no, advertising. That, that's, the, that's the bit. No, no, no. My point is that I don't think Amazon is valued as a consumer company. I think it's valued as a cloud company and as an advertising right. company. And if that's the case, because it's never really made a lot of money or, or profit off the consumer business, but it has made a lot of money off AWS and increasingly makes a lot of money on advertising. And I look at Alphabet and I look at Microsoft. 
And both of those two portions of the business may not be performing that well. Yes. Yeah. You know, there are warning signals from Microsoft and Alphabet. And I apologize to Guy because he's absolutely right. I think the change of generation and, and management, right, from, from Bezos to, to Jassy is that Jassy realizes that the e-commerce part of the business can also be the biggest drag on profit overall and operating income. And he has tried to undo these kind of heavy investments that Bezos did in the, the pandemic era where there was such a sort of... Um, obsession with delivery as quick as possible and fulfillment and having staff um and and also you know uh this idea of just conquering the market uh for e-commerce they're being disciplined and also you know jassy was the head of aws it was his Mm -hmm. baby and you know he knows that market really well it's incredibly competitive but aws wants to continue to establish itself as the dominant dominant player well and and to that point you can totally rib guy anytime you want by the way it's fine yeah um uh (laughs) you don't have to apologize uh but then i you know, Amazon's been around for a while, and they've been through downturns for a while. But never have they been such a pillar of the economy before in a downturn. Yes. And that might be tricky today. As an employer as well, not just as a place that the consumer spends money, but think about their footprint as an employer. You know, I don't have my Bloomberg in front of me, so forgive me. But last time I checked, like, what's so bizarre is Amazon still trades at, like, 40 times earnings, right? For 40 times forward earnings, yeah. which is kind of nuts when you think yeah. about it. That's like a very stretched multiple stock that you would kind of, I think, like, Zoom has a, has a lower multiple than that. Um, so I, I, there are two stories here: growth on a, on a year-on-year, a quarterly growth on a year-on-year basis on the top line has been slow in recent quarters. There's a hope it will pick back up this quarter going into next. Um, but but what if the profit machine that it, it has been sort of suddenly goes away because of all these difficult macro factors, which include AWS pullback, include advertiser pullback as well? We're going to find out very very soon. We'll talk about this tomorrow. We'll see what I happens. I hope so. Yeah, yep. check you later. <laughs> yep. Ed Ludlow uh, joining us from San Francisco. Um, well, that does wrap things up. The next big events are definitely uh, the Amazon and Apple reports. Uh, and Ed will be back tomorrow, as will we, to break it all down for you. Hope you enjoyed the show. This is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.